Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We have been reading in the book of Exodus. Now, last time we read Exodus chapter 19. Now, at the end of 19, God was sending Moses back down the mountain to warn the people to make sure they stayed away so they would not be killed. So let's read that last verse here. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. I know that's a simple verse, but if you remember, this was just to keep the people safe. God didn't want anyone to get, you know, accidentally in trouble and get killed. So now we're ready to read Exodus chapter 20. Now, remember that Moses is on Mount Sinai. Um, and I, actually, I guess it's Moses and Aaron because God requested that they both come back up. So they're up in the cloud. And God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. This should not be any surprise to anyone who knows anything about this. And even if for any reason you don't know anything about this, this is where God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. Okay. This is Exodus 20. And I am reading from the Amplified Bible. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol or any likeness, form, or manifestation of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth as an object of worship. Now I want you to notice now, some people take this to an extreme that you can't make any likenesses. I understand that, but the idea here is, is that you would not make yourself any idol, anything that you worship. Having a little decorative thing is not, is not what's wrong. It's just we don't want to be worshiping things, okay? You shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous, impassioned God, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely mine, visiting, avenging the iniquity, sin, guilt of the fathers on the children, that is, calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing graciousness and steadfast loving kindness to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now notice the difference there. For someone who hates God, their sins are rolling through their family, through the generations. Now they can break that by just coming to God and by you know, loving God and by trying to keep his commandments. But as long as they hate God and they're working against God and they're going against God, then that, that sin just keeps rolling down through the generations. It's actually more of a choice. It's actually more of each generation making that choice, compiling the sin, making the sin worse. Because if you'll notice... As you go down through lines of people, we tend to be like our parents, who tend to be like their parents, who tend to be like their parents. And so these things build and build and build. If, if, if one, um, I'm going to use just kind of a out of the blue example, okay? If one person is like a, a really 
hardened criminal and then their kid is a hardened criminal and then their kid and then, you know, it just continue. It can, I'm not going to say that it has to, it can continue down the line because we tend to be like our parents. So those criminal activity, that uh, mindset, those actions and that heart tends to follow along. You have to make a conscious effort to break that. It can be broken and, and it doesn't, you don't have to follow that. But you can see how in families these things happen. You can also see blessings happening down through generations and families. And then you can see that when they turn away from God, you can see that dwindle and trail off. And then they no longer get those blessings. So it's just something to notice. It all depends on how we react to God. Because if we love God... We will keep his commandments. We will follow his instructions. We will have a much better life, even here. Not to mention, we will have eternal life and great eternal life. But this makes a big difference. This theme is actually held throughout the Bible. If we will follow the Lord's instructions, we will have a better life here, and we will have a great eternal life. If we don't, life here is going to be harder and worse, and our eternal life, that eternal life will be much worse if it's not snuffed out entirely, because then you will not be with God, you will not be with the Lord, you will not be in paradise. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, irreverently, in false affirmations, or in ways that impugn the character of God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power. Now, this is something I've always struggled to understand because it didn't make good sense to me. And I'm not sure why I, I struggle to understand it. When I read it here like this, I get a better idea. I understand like not using, you know, not not using God in a way to make a false affirmation. In other words, you're not going to use God in your lies because that would be to tempt, you know, God's punishment. And then, you know, we're not to use God in a way that would uh, also in a lying or false way that would then make people think, well, you lied and you swore by God or by the Bible or whatever, and you still lied. So that means that your character is bad, and thus God's character must be bad. We must reflect the correct character of God, the the honest integrity, you know, all those uh, good positive things, the love of God, the uh, mercy of God. We must reflect all those good qualities of God so that people will see that, and they will think that way of God. They'll realize that we are of God, and, and how, our, how we act determines a lot of times what people think of God. And we need to realize that. It's very important. So, I, I know I'm taking a lot from this, but if you'll think about it, you shall not take the name of the Lord God. Your, I'm, I'm saying that wrong, and I apologize. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Also, we should not be using it as a <clears throat> as a um, 
let's see, a curse word or exclamatory thing. And, and I'm going to give you an example. And please pardon me, forgive me, but, you know, some people will say Jesus or Jesus Christ, and they'll say it as almost like a cuss word. They'll say it in an exclamatory way. Um, is that the right word? That may not be the right word, but they'll say it in that kind of way. And that's, you know, that's incorrect because that's not, you know, that's not how we should be using the Lord's name. The Lord's name, especially the name of Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus. His name is how we um, invoke our, let's see if I can explain this right. Using the name of Jesus, when we pray, it invokes our connection to Jesus, the fact that he saved us and that we're his, and that means we're children of God. And that's how, you know, that's how we gain access to God is through the name of the Lord. So we don't want to be using that irreverently or improperly. We don't want to come to that place where we are not respecting and appreciating what the Lord has done for us. So we don't want to use that, like I said, as kind of a curse or cuss word. So that's something to be aware of. So that's two things I know about in vain, meaning irreverently and wrong. And then there's also the false affirmations, the align part of it. So if there's more to it than that, and there could be, like I said, I have struggled with trying to understand exactly what taking it in vain was supposed to mean. Um, so I can understand the line where it's like an empty, uh, false affirmation or promise or anything like that. And I can understand the irreverence where we use it incorrectly and we, uh, thus we lose respect and, uh, we don't honor and respect it properly. And then too, again, how we act, People see that, and that's how they will act and how they will think of God and the Lord. If we act wrongly and incorrectly and we reflect that incorrectly outwardly, that's what the world will see, and that's how they will then think of God and the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day, that's the seventh day, to keep it wholly set apart, dedicated dedicated to God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the temporary resident foreigner who stays within your city gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested, ceased on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, that is, set it apart for his purposes. Honor, respect, obey, care for your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged in the land the Lord your God gives you. I want to back up for a second for the Sabbath day. Now, we, we need to realize that the uh, the Jewish faith, if I remember correctly, and this may not be exactly right, but this is going to be close. Their Sabbath is like from Friday evening to Saturday evening. And I'm not sure exactly how all that works out. 
So I'm not going to get into details because I don't know details. But if I remember right, that's the way they do it. Basically, Saturday is their Sabbath mainly. But I think they actually start at like Friday evening for some reason. And I'm not going to claim to understand all of that. Okay. But for us, I know as Christians, we've really, we don't really celebrate the Sabbath. We celebrate the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week because that is the day that Jesus rose. If you, if you didn't understand or didn't know that, that's why he rose on a Sunday. And so we shifted. Well, we were never Jews. We were Gentiles. So we actually use Sunday more as our Sabbath. And we actually do that day more of a like from morning to evening. And you'll remember in the past, if you're old like me, you'll remember that there used to be a lot of laws and a lot of businesses were not open on Sundays and all kinds of things you could not do on Sundays because really as a Christian nation, we just did not do those things. We didn't transact or work or do anything on a Sunday, hardly ever. Now, in in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we need to realize that and, and there were exceptions, even for the Israelis, even for the Jewish people back then, the Israelites. There were exceptions to to this no working and not doing because certain things could happen, of course, on a Sabbath day. And it would have to be taken care of, even if you didn't want to do it. It's just, you know, if something came up and, and it had to be taken care of, it had to be taken care of. I mean, imagine um, your house is on fire. You've got to put it out, right? So, I mean, it doesn't matter what day it is. And you can call that work or not. It doesn't matter. So, and, and Jesus kind of had it out with the Pharisees over some of this because they went very much by the letter of the law. And uh, this was really intended to give man, to give people, a day to really focus on God, to really worship on God, worship God, and and focus on God and rest. Also rest because we were working the other days of the week. Now in our modern times here in the U.S., we tend to have five days of work and two days off. Now that's not always true. I've worked a lot of weekends. I've worked Saturdays and Sundays, but I'm just saying in general. We tend to have five days of work and two days off, Saturday and Sunday. I always think of Saturday as more of a selfish day for us to just do what we want and relax. And then Sunday is really the day that we dedicate to the Lord. And we spend a lot of time either in church or doing other things. Now, every day we should be doing certain things like studying our Bible, singing praises to the Lord. We shouldn't need it to be a church day for that. I'm just going to throw that out there. But nonetheless, this is set up for us. The Sabbath, remember what the Lord said? Or maybe it's what God says. Some, You know, I can't remember where the scripture is right this moment, so please forgive me. But the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was to be a help and a good thing for us. And unfortunately, the Pharisees kind of got it backwards and twisted it and made it something where it was supposed to be a burden to us. And that was never the idea. The idea was it was to give you a day of rest and a day to focus on God and to worship God. And, you know, it's supposed to be a good thing for us. Okay. And the same with Sunday now, with the way we do Sunday, it is intended to be a good thing for us. Going to church should not be a burden. It should be a good thing. 
All right. The next one we read just a moment ago, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be prolonged in the land the Lord your God gives you. Notice, I think this is the first and maybe only commandment that that prolongs your days. We should honor, respect our parents. Well, we should always honor and respect our parents. I mean, if nothing else, they gave us life. Now, even if you have really awful bad parents, we can at least appreciate that. And as Christians, we should do the right thing even when others don't. And I'll I'll say that and leave it at that. For most of us, I think most of us have good parents. Now, I know there's probably some exceptions, as I said. But we should still respect and care about our parents, even I'm going to say this, and I know it's hard, but even if they don't care about us. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be in abusive relationships and take abuse. You should not. But there are ways we can handle things and still be respectful and care about the other person. You shall not commit murder, unjustified, deliberate homicide. Now, Remember, I'm reading from the Amplified, so it adds a little bit to this. But you shall not commit murder. I think probably King James Version says you shall not kill, which was a little too vague because that was, of course, not the intent. That was not the meaning. If you look at that wholly as just you shall not kill, then you would never eat anything but but vegetables. And, And even then, you could take that towards the plants and say, well, I shouldn't kill the plants, so I can't eat that. You'd never eat anything. So. And that's a bit of, I know that's a bit of a stretch, but I'm just saying that you could really take that out of whack. But when you understand that really you should not commit murder, and this is unjustified, and this is deliberate homicide, okay? You know, we should never be doing things like that. You shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery, we know, is... uh has been kind of amplified by Jesus in the fact that he said that when we look upon someone to lust after them, and this applies to male and female, um, then we have committed adultery in our hearts. So we need to be very careful about that. Now, I am going to say that as humans, we recognize that there's a difference in maybe that momentary lapse and someone actually pursuing and chasing after and committing adultery. Okay, when you're chasing after it, okay, you've really gone far, far over the line. And that's that's when it's bad. When you take action, when you take action based on that that desire, that want, that's, you know, any of us might be tempted and 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 have a momentary lapse, but you have to stop yourself and pull yourself back from that. You shall not steal secretly, openly, fraudulently, or through carelessness. I'm not sure how you would carelessly steal. I guess you could accidentally take something, and if you did, you could return it. Um, I've heard of people accidentally walking out with something and going, oh, I didn't mean to do that, and they take, they go back and they, they either pay for it or return it. Um, I don't know if I've ever done that. Might have. I can't remember doing that, though. Uh, But we don't want to purposefully be stealing. You shall not testify falsely, that is, lie, withhold, or manipulate the truth against your neighbor, 
any person. Really, the way we should look at neighbor in the Bible is it's any other person. And it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It doesn't matter if they're Israelite or not. We should not lie or testify falsely against any person. I mean, that's that should be common sense, but God spelled it out here for us just to make sure that we would know not to manipulate the truth or withhold or lie against any person. You shall not covet, that is, selfishly desire and attempt to acquire your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now this <clears throat> this um, kind of goes over a lot of different things. You shall not covet, and and this amplifies it and says that is, selfishly desire and attempt to acquire. Now, see, here's the difference. You might see somebody that has a nice car and you think, oh, well, that's a pretty cool car. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, next time I get a car, I'm going to see if I get one of those. That's nice. That's not necessarily wrong. Okay. Because you're like, maybe that's just a good idea. Maybe your car is old and, and kind of breaking down and you're ready to change it out anyway. So that's not necessarily bad. What's bad is when you look at, you're not just getting a good idea from your neighbor, but you actually want what they have. You're actually coveting. Maybe you're, there's two ways to look at that. You're trying to keep up with like, oh, I've got to have the same status. I've got to have the same status symbols or I need to one up them. Maybe I need to get, maybe they have a nice Mustang. I'm going to get a nice Jaguar. I'm going to go above and beyond, you know, and you get into this weird status um, competition, which is very strange. And I don't understand that because that's a very man-made fictional thing. There is no inherent value in that. It's just a um, very selfish uh, look at me style of thing. It's a very vain. Yeah, it is. It's a very vain thing. So, and then there is the other coveting where you really want what they have. Like you want to take your neighbor's wife, you want to take your neighbor's servant, you know, or their ox or their donkey or whatever belongs to them. You want to take it from them. You want to find a way. Now, and I, again, I don't really, I don't really understand that unless somehow you think there's some inherent benefit in that. Uh, normally, I think of uh, the the proper way of handling this type of thing is if my neighbor has something cool or good or they have a good idea or they have a good uh, uh, thing of whatever type, if I think it's a good idea, well, I can get my own. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to desire theirs or take theirs. And definitely not their wife. Don't be taking someone's wife or husband. That's definitely wrong. We don't want to get into that area. Anyway, coveting is a strange thing. And it's hard for me to understand that because I think some of it is based on the fictional idea that you are um, improving yourself by either copying or uh, taking from your neighbor. 
Now all the people witnessed the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the smoking mountain. And as they looked, the people were afraid, and they trembled and moved backward, and stood at a safe distance. Then they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Now the people were genuinely afraid, okay, genuinely. This is really, that really scared them. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him, that is a profound reverence for him, will remain with you so that you do not sin. So the people stood at a safe distance, but Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. So the idea was God would represent, would show his power, and it wasn't really to fear to make them afraid, but it was to make them realize just how awesome and powerful he was so that they would not want to sin. But it wasn't really like to scare them straight, though you could say that a little bit, you know, and I could understand that. There is some value in that sometimes, but that's usually very short-lived. But still, the idea was to show his awesomeness and his power so that they could appreciate that and respect that, and so they would not sin. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods to worship besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make these lifeless idols for yourselves. You shall make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep, and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be recorded and remembered through revelation of my divine nature, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you use a chisel on it, you will profane it. Nor shall you go up to my altar on steps so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Now, there is a note about this on nakedness, and it says how the nakedness would be exposed is not clear. Um, and the reason is because uh, even the rabbis were puzzled about that because there's a regulation in chapter 2842 about having linen undergarments that would appear to solve any problem with nakedness or being exposed. However, you'll notice right now we're in chapter 20. So maybe this was a pro preliminary thing, but also, who knows? I mean, um, there could be possible instances where even though you're, you're wearing linen undergarments and stuff, that maybe something would happen that would cause some kind of exposure. So not sure about that, but I wanted to mention that because it's, it's an odd little note and something to think about. So I've probably gone on too long, but uh, thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.